Hey everybody, welcome back to another Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat Official. I am Scotty Eisen, aka the Skull Keeper, joined tonight with the voice of Hunt, Lift, Eat, Carter McKenzie. How you doing, Carter? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> and uh, also, we got Gabe Robinson hailing from Montana, the great state. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, got skunked op- this opening weekend, so it's good to be doing something productive finally. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, right on. We're happy to have you guys here tonight. Uh, we are talking about public land and land management. Uh, it's different everywhere we go, everywhere we live, every state. Um, as our as our team grows, uh, there's uh, a, a vast need of, of where to go, where to hunt, how to hunt. And, uh, and every state, as we know, handles things a lot differently. So there's so much to pick up on and learn from. So hopefully we can, uh, give everybody some good tips tonight on, on, on what to do and, and, uh, and how to go. So Gabe, you want to start us off on, on what your tip might be? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I hunt pretty much primarily public land. The only time I'm not hunting public land in Montana is when I'm hunting stuff called block management, which I just found out tonight is pretty much only in Montana. What block management is, is it's a government program where governments will subsidize the ranchers based on the amount of hunters that they allow on their land. You have two types. You have type one and type two. Type one, they have a check-in box where you have to sign in day of before you start hunting. You just write down like your address, phone, phone number, uh, name, and like license plate so they know where you're at. Type two, you have to call ahead and hunt. Uh, to be able to hunt there and they'll give you like a little tab that you can put on your vehicle so you can hunt there. Block management is super awesome. I've used it a lot to go find animals that are less pressured than typical public land. Um, not a lot of people talk about block management because in, at least to me, it's just not as well known as public land is. And so I think it's very overlooked in the state of Montana at least. Yeah, that's, that's, Pretty awesome. Um, how do you get, how do you get involved in that block management? Like, how do you get on, is there a list? Is it a draw? How, do, how does that work? Onyx. You just find it on Onyx and ha- make sure to put that layer setting on. They'll have a little triangle for type one where to check in and type two, you just got to click on it. It'll give you the number and everything for, to call. Wow. That's really awesome. Yeah. Montana is very generous with their hunters as far as like land access i've found like there's over seven million acres of block management like that's wild right seven million acres of you know private landowners that sign up and enroll in the program to allow you know joe schmo to come hunt their land which you know of course they should be subsidized right because that comes with their own risks right opening up their land to you know people like gabe coming coming tromping across their fields you know but uh it's it's a really awesome thing and you know it's very generous in montana to be doing that so if you're ever going to be hunting in montana that is something you need to look into because it opens up a lot of areas for you and like you were saying before we pressed record gabe you were like i mean i'm hunting private land like you know i just check in or give someone a call yeah no it's a super cool program there's a lot of uh pieces that are also just like access to public or to landlocked public land. And if you don't know what landlocked public land is, it's where there's a piece of public land and then all the land surrounding it with access roads is private. So you legally cannot access it without trespassing. Um, The government in Montana has started doing small strips of block management where you just sign in and then walk across 
And so it's like walk in or horseback access only to some landlocked public land, which is a, a big issue in Montana. I know Onyx is actually doing project landlocked um, in a lot of Western states to try to get more access to public land for public land hunters. Yeah, that's awesome. Is that, and is that, uh, is that, a, can everybody do that out of state residents, you know, and residents, obviously? To my knowledge, yes, anybody can use uh, block management as long as you do the proper things. It is unfortunate, though, a lot of the times you'll show up to a piece and you can check how many people have signed in for that day. And some pieces have like a maximum five people can sign in for that day. Um, but unfortunately, as with all good programs like this, people take advantage of it. So there's people who don't sign in. There's people who sign in a day early, which isn't allowed. Um, and it's just sad to me to see stuff like that getting taken advantage of because it's based on the goodwill of farmers letting hunters use their land. Um, and it's just unfortunate that that could one person could kind of screw over everybody else's access. Yeah, that's that's tough. And it always ends up working out that way. You know, it just takes a couple bad seeds to kind of screw things up, especially when you got something good going. Um, just while we were talking, I was kind of just clicking around on the California Fish and Game website. And believe it or not, California actually has a, a what seems to be a, a similar type program. Uh, it's called SHARE. And it's a shared habitat alliance for recreational enhancement. And it does just that. It gives uh, public access to private land, access to uh, public land that's landlocked, and uh, and it says more recreational opportunities. So it seems like other states are actually trying to uh, implement um, programs that are similar to that. So I'm, I'm definitely going to try to dive into this later on. I didn't even know we had something like that, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's and in Wyoming, you know, they have hunter walk-in areas, which is the same kind of concept. You contact Game and Fish, and then you can sign up from put your name on a list, and then you show up and sign in, and same kind of access there. Yeah, it's pretty cool, especially the access to uh, landlocked, because there's 1.5 million acres of landlocked state land in Montana. Mm. That's amazing. What a great opportunity. I think that's a great tip, Gabe, especially for anybody that has plans on going out to Montana to hunt or lives out there. I know we got a lot of team members that are living out there now. And uh, and and for anybody looking to hunt, I mean, that's the number one thing that we all need is somewhere to go, somewhere to be and somewhere to hunt, you know, and, and you never know who you might call that one person and, you know, um, form friendships and relationships with and, and have a lot more future access maybe outside of you know, the actual block management too. You just never know who you're, who you'll encounter. So awesome tip. Awesome tip, Gabe Carter. What's your tip for the night? All right. We're going to see how this goes. Gabe pointed out that this, this might be a risky maneuver trying to do math with a, with a significant audience here. So we'll see how this goes. So what's been going on in my neck of the woods recently <clears throat> is we're gearing up for deer season as well. Um, and we, you know, most huntable land here in Georgia is private land. Most, most deer are hunted on private land here. Um, myself included, I hunt a lot of private land and, uh, I'm planting food plots at my house. So diving into kind of the ins and outs and the nuances behind planting food plots has been kind of a journey over the last two or three years. And I've learned a lot of lessons, right? Cause it's not as easy as it seems. So the last two years, uh, you've heard me talk on here before about the no-till food plot method, which I've been doing the last two years, which has worked incredibly well, uh, really efficiently. I'm, I'm very pleased with it. Um, 
But something I wanted to point out, I was at Tractor Supply this weekend, getting some more seed. I'm going to plant most of my food plots here in the month of September, uh, right before a rain. We've gotten a lot of rain recently, and my food plots have started coming up. I was looking at them today. Uh, but a couple things you need to pay attention to is when you're purchasing seed for food plots, um, you really need to pay attention to, you know, actually this applies to any damn thing that you're going to buy in a store ever, but don't pay attention to the marketing. You need to look at the back on the uh, actual, you know, the sticker at the bottom uh, that actually tells you what's in the bag of seed itself. Um, Cause a lot of people, myself included can get, can get burned um, by not paying attention here. So we'll just take like, for example, I was going to buy, I was looking at this bag of Pennington uh, Dorena clover, uh, which is, you know, a big deal. It's a fantastic clover to plant down here. Deer love it. Um, and I was looking at the back of the bag and I kind of raised a few questions there. So what you need to pay attention to is kind of the, the number that you're looking for is called your PLS or your pure live seed, uh, which isn't expressly given to you on the back of these bags of seed, right? So um, the total weight of this bag was 12 pounds, right? Um, and you think, oh, I'm getting 12 pounds of clover seed, but it's not always the case, right? So you really need to pay attention. It's kind of like when you buy a bag of chips and you open it up and it's like half air. It's like, what the hell? What a waste of time. Like, what are we doing here? Um, and so when you're calculating your pure live seed, uh, the, the actual, um, pause that. All right, there's, a, there's an algorithm that you can work with. So what you're going to do is you're going to take the percent of purity, like your pure seed, which is given to you on the back of any, any seed bag, times the percent of the germination rate. And both those are given to you in two columns on the back of every single bag of seed, right? So you have your, uh, your percent pure and then your percent germination rate. And so, for example, on this bag, it was 85% purity for the clover and with a 75% germination rate. Now, that all sounds good at face value, right? But to get your actual pure live seed, like what you're actually working with, you're going to take those two and you're going to multiply them, right? Convert them to decimals, and then you're going to multiply them. So if our purity is point, or is, is 85%, we're going to call it 0.85, and our germination is 75% germination rate, we're going to do 0.75. We're going to multiply those two numbers, and that's going to give us – I probably should have done this before. That's going to give us 0.64, right? So our pure live seed is actually only 64% of that bag, right? Does that make sense? Hmm. You guys with me so far? I know you guys are not. I'm tracking. Far. I'm okay, tracking. Cool. 0.64, which is like significantly less than, you know, the 75 number that's given to you and then even the 85% that's given to you, right? So 0.64 is the actual pure live seed in that bag. Now you subtract that from 100, right? The difference is... 36%. So what is 36% of your bag? It's, it's trash. It's garbage. It's filler. Mm. It's, it's inert material. It's something that's not going to benefit you whatsoever. It can be weed seed. It can be coating, like the actual coating of the seed. Um, it's, it's unneeded and, and unbeneficial there. So when you're trying to calculate like your percent poundage for like how you're going to seed your food plots that you really need to take into consideration. Cause on the bag, it'll say like, Oh, this 12 pounds will seed an acre. But it's not really the case, right? Because when you multiply it out, you know, you take your final number of your pure live seed, multiply that by the pounds of the bound. Oh my gosh, the 
pounds in the bag, right? So if it says it's a 12 pound bag, we're going to take that 0.64 of pure live seed that we got. We're going to multiply that by 12. Once again, probably should have done that. 0.64 times 12 equals 7.6. So they're lying to you. You're only getting 7.6 pounds of seed, right? And that drops your seeding rate way down, right? That's I'm not a math teacher, but seven is less than 12. That's what I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I know. See, I'm just, I'm impressed that this is like no calculus using, because I'll tell you, my, my college professor, he, he was determined to convince me that calculus and derivatives you use in your everyday life. And, you know, in my 18 years of, well, I'm not 18 anymore, my 20 years of being on this planet... Um, I've never had to use calculus, so good job with on doing that without any calculus. <laughs> well, yeah, just basic multiplication going on here. But so that's your algorithm that you need to work with. That's your formula, right? Your percent purity times your percent germination. That'll give you your pure live seed. Okay. And then that number will allow you to look through kind of the, the marketing and the snake oil behind what they're actually trying to pitch you. Right. If that kind of makes sense. I took a picture today of a bag at the store that I was going to purchase while I was, you know, on my calculator and this old timer came up next to me. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm just doing some math, man. Like being nerdy. I'm yeah, just, just being like, a little nerdy right now. Don't worry about it. And so, you know, a lot of this ties into, you need to be aware of what you're purchasing, right? We need to be aware of what we're putting in our bodies. That's why we hunt. That's why we, you know, that's why I garden. That's why we do all these things, right? You need to be aware of what you're purchasing. Um, and then kind of to caveat off of this, you know, I was looking at this bag that a lot of people were picking up and buying because it was cheap. This like quick stand, no till food plot. That's what mm -hmm. it was branded as in a picture of this big giant buck on the front. I'm like, hell yeah, that's the stuff, right? Yeah. You look that's over all they the got to do. That's it, dude. And that's, that's all it. you got to do. Just put a big deer on the, on your labeling. Right. And you're like, oh, if I plant this, I'll have big giant deer. Exactly. And I did this my first year, right? I, I did it because it was cheap. I was, I was poor, like I was broke and I was trying to do this as cheap as possible. And, uh, you know, you flip it over and you're like 89% purity, 85% germination rate, like pff, no brainer. Right. And then you look at the ingredients, you break down the ingredients and 89% of your bag is ryegrass, right? Mm. Wow. It's just, it's just grass, dude. It's right. crap. Deer don't want that, right? It's just that's you're planting a lawn, right? It's just garbage, total waste of your money. And you're actually only getting 3%, you know, 3% of crimson clover, 3% of rape, or 3% of a turnip, or like whatever else is in there. And it's negligible. It's crazy to me that those bags of seed are actually just are branded like that. I mean, that's food plots are pretty, pretty illegal in Montana to do specifically for game hunting. You can't hunt over food plots or anything like that, that unless it's like an alfalfa field specifically for cattle, um, they're just not a thing in Montana. Um, so hearing you talk about this a lot on the podcast really opened my eyes to how different hunting is across the States. Um, like I was going to ask you, do you hunt public land at all in Georgia? Yeah, for sure. We have, we have a lot of public land opportunities here. Nothing like Montana, but we have over a million acres of public and that's what I hunted all through college. And then, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to work for a couple old timers in town and establish relationships with them on their cattle farms, fixing yeah. fences and, and moving cows and that kind of stuff. And that turned into permissions. Um, but one of them is a real benefit because it gives me 
access to the backside of a piece of public that is not accessible unless you're willing to walk in. You know, it's it's like 3,000 acres to the very back of the property. So um, I can just scoot across where a lot of other people can't. But yeah, yeah, we hunt public. We hunt public a lot for like ducks and, and geese and things like that. Okay. But okay. For deer, I, I have so many private, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Private permissions. Um, I just, I don't fool with you know, the the public that much anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just always been crazy to me that like in in the South and in the Southwest or Southeast that people just, they name their bucks and everything. Like when they're chasing whitetail, they'll have different <laughs> form. And yeah. I'm over here thinking like, if I have a deer on a trail cam, unless it's my private land, that deer is going to get shot if it's going to be, if it's a good mule deer or whitetail. Um, Cause I mean, Montana has 30 million acres of public land. So almost 30 times as more than yeah. Georgia. And so I was just curious if that was like a thing or if pretty much everybody just hunted private. Um, there. Yeah. I mean, the thing in the Southeast is your deer management happens on private land. That's where, that's where deer are either benefited from by people, you know, coming together, listening to biologists, following the rules and regulations, or, you know, to the detriment of the deer herd. That's where it happens with illegal shooting and, you know, uh, spotlighting and, and things like that. Just different, right? I'm not pro or anti, but I've been yelled at enough on public to know that I prefer private permissions. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the times it's you're hunting against other hunters. And I mean, shoot, I went out to one spot like the second week of rifle season last year and pulled up, there was like nine trucks and I hiked up and they, I just was just glassing just to see where people were at and everybody's in their blaze orange. And it was just like an, the whole mountainside was just orange dots everywhere. You could just see exactly where everybody was hunting. And I was like, I yeah. just left. It was pointless. Yeah. Yeah. I saved that battle for my Western trips and I have the year to prepare myself for it where you have to deal with it all season. Yeah. 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 Yep, that's well, my tip. That's your well, formula. I love it, Carter. I love it. I love that you're diving into the numbers and getting down to the nitty gritty. And that way, you know, actually what's growing in your, you know, in your food plot yeah, when exactly. it pops up. That way there's no surprises at the end. You're like, what? Grass? Yeah. Yeah, no. exactly. You, you want, you want the clover. You want, what, what right. are like, what are like the top three? What, what do you want? Is it, what do you want growing in your food plot? So clover is a, a big standby down here and a red or a crimson clover or some kind of white clover, like a Dorena mm. clover. Um, those are, those are big, it's, you know, great, great protein. They grow quickly. They, they bounce back from high deer foraging. Um, I plant a lot of, uh, I plant, I plant winter wheat. I plant some cereal, cereal grain, cereal rye. Um, and those kind of act, they grow really fast and they, they seed really well and they grow fast enough to act kind of as nurse crops so that the, uh, the deer eat on those instead of the clover when it's really young and they let the clover grow up and establish. So mm. you're kind of trying to find this like balance in your food plots. Um, my goal is just to have something green all year round until through the end of January. Um, and so there'll be some turnips and radishes and mm -hmm. uh, some rape and other brassicas in there as well. So you're always trying to find the balance and, and fine tune kind of what you're planting. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then do, do they rebound the next year or are they, it's just one and done and then you're back at it the next year. Yeah. It's kind of like any, you know, whenever you're gardening, uh, in like the, like the flower or vegetable world, there's uh, there's perennials and there's annuals. So mm -hmm. some, you know, the, you can get the clover to establish and really the clover is really good after like your third year, once it gets really established, if it can survive the heat. 
um, it can keep coming back. And then the other stuff is it'll terminate itself and go back into the ground and help the soil. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Good tip. Good tip, Carter. Yeah, man. Yeah, well, uh, I'll dive into my tip real quick. It's, it's, it's very simple, very easy. A lot of people know this, but, uh, when it comes down to public land hunting, which the majority of my public land hunting has occurred here in California, um, we have 15 million acres of public land here in California. Um, albeit you might not be able to hunt on all of it, but there's a large chunk that you can hunt on. Um, when you're public land hunting in California, um, you know, most people are limited to that. Uh, certainly with a, a lot of the duck hunting, the refuges out here, the majority of it, uh, there are certainly areas you can find that public land and that's where you're fighting people off. You know, you're, you're in the marsh, you know, I would bring extra headlamps just to stack them around, uh, the toolies where I'm at to make it look like there's five of us sitting in one blind rather than just me, you know, that's trying to keep, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, but it just never goes without fail. You know, it's, you know, it's almost first light. And then here comes some dude walking, you know, pulling his sled behind him through the water saying, letting you know, he's just going to set up over there, you know, but, uh, and that's the one thing that's really pushed me away from a lot of the public land duck hunting out here. But, you know, if you want to get into deer hunting, um, pig hunting, turkey, um, out here in California, you really got to do your research. Uh, you got to jump on the fishing game website and, uh, there's going to be a lot of research that's going to be required of you. You got to make sure you're all within the regs. You got the right ammo here in California. We have to shoot copper, um, out here. Um, and so, and even obviously when you're duck hunting, I'm assuming it's like this in a lot of States, but definitely in California, there's no lead shot available, you know, available all has to be steel. Um, but you know, make sure you're within those regs. And then once you do find that spot that you know, you can hunt on, that you can, you know, pull your truck in, jump out and go out and go hunt, which is what we all want to do. There's going to be a learning curve there on, on every area you go, you know? So I would recommend honing in on an area, you know, you go buy your tag or, or if you draw your tag, hone in on area. It's going to take some years to really gain some, some, uh, experience with that area. Um, and I would just kind of just, urge everybody to kind of settle in and be patient because it does take time. It takes a lot of hiking to learn these areas. They're highly pressured, especially these areas that people just pull over on the side of the road and just go hunt the first quarter mile in. You know, I do think it's important to get, try your best to get away from everybody if you can. Um, so uh, just my tip is just prepare yourself for the long haul, you know, for whichever that area is and uh, spend time and, and, you know, not every hunt's going to be successful out there, but every hunt you will learn something new about that area that you can take in next time you go. Um, so, uh, it is tough. It's hard to get into hunting public land. Uh, you're gonna have to battle other people, different types of people, maybe not the uh, conservationists that we all kind of like to think we are, you know, there's just, you know, you got to prepare yourself with, for what you might see and hear out there. Um, but, uh, be patient, and find the time, put the time in. And, and I'm confident that over the years, cause it does take years, uh, success will find its way. So out of curiosity, uh, how hard is it or how expensive is it for an out of stater to go get like a, a pig license, uh, in California? You know, I don't, uh, I don't think it's too hard. Um, I've never actually looked it up to see what an out of state, uh, hunting license would be. Um, but the pig license, you know, 
I think for us, they're, they're 30 bucks maybe each, you know, so really affordable for, for residents. Um, but I don't think it's too hard for an out-of-state resident to, to come in and come hunt pigs. Uh, there's certainly a multitude of them to come out and come shoot, um, assuming you find the right place to go, of course. Yeah, for sure. So you said th- 30 bucks. Is that like on just out of, like, is that like on the lower end of, of the spectrum? Like how much are like your deer and elk tags there as a resident? Yeah. Um, elk tags, you, well, you can't, you have to put in for the draw for elk tags for each individual unit. Um, and they only give out like two per unit per year. Um, it's very, very limited. And, um, you know, you can always go hunt private elk tags. You know, you're going to have to go buy a voucher, but you're going to pay big bucks to go do that. Like in the 30, $40,000 range. It's crazy. Um, and people are doing it, which just blows my mind. But, um, uh, as far as the, you know, the, the price you're talking about the prices, I mean, yeah, it's definitely on the, on the lower end. I think a deer tag might be, oh man, what is a deer tag? Maybe 40 bucks. It, it's all pretty low for, for my standards being so used to hunting out of state. Um, you know, you can go buy as many pig tags as you want, you know, you can, and, and you can hunt them year round, which is really something I'm trying to dive into. Um, because it's just fun to be able to hunt year round, you know, and, and, and hunting those pigs. It's a good time. Yeah, for sure. I just, I just uh, looked it up. It looked like it'd be about, about 260 bucks to come out as a, as a non-resident and it's 180 for your license and then 88 for your pig license. Um, and then there's a couple other fees that they had thrown in there. So of course, that would definitely be an affordable hunt for people who want to go and get out and do pigs. Cause I've always, I've always wanted to go hunt hogs in, in some way or another. And Texas always interests me, but I know California has, has quite a big population as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it is a great hunt and people come from all over to come go to Texas and come to California and come hunt hogs. Um, it's a, it's a good hunt and it's, it's fun. I, I really dove into it last year, had a little bit of uh, success. Uh, I shot one with the, with my rifle and then, uh, probably about a month, month and a half ago, I got lucky and, and what managed to stick one too with my bow with, for my first kill. So, uh, hunt those pigs. It's a good time. It's a good time. And I recommend if anybody has the time to come out, uh, and try to venture off, do something different, you know, it's definitely a great opportunity for people. Yeah. We're going to have to unpack that hunt on a full length podcast here soon, Scotty. I want want to hear all the details about that one, man. Yeah, we got to do it. That oh, sounded yeah. awesome. That that'd be really cool to go out there and do some archery, archery boar hunting or pig hunting, and that would be that'd be sweet. Be Gabe's cool. looking for an invite, Scotty. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. I'll I'll throw <laughs> it out there. I can. We gotta. I gotta try to. You know, we always gotta pull your strings and find out ways how you can make things happen. You know, so 100%, it'd be it'd be, a, it'd be a good thing to keep for the future for sure. For sure, that's dude. It. I'm in college still. I can't afford that quite yet. Yeah, that's, it's all good. It'll come. It'll come in due time. Well, boys, this has been good. Appreciate y'all uh, jumping on here, sharing some tips. I don't know when this wasn't going to come out. Maybe sometime in September, right? Sometime, yeah. We'll see. We'll Get see. it Whoever's out there. In of it. Whoever's in charge of it, figure it out. Give the and, people uh, what they want. Give the people what they want. Right, the smooth voice, Scotty Eisen. Uh, listeners, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you guys, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>